Good evening. The Romans were people who loved to build roads. They're supposed to have constructed roads that were as long as 9,000 kilometers, and they built straight roads. They loved straight roads. Their constructions have been very good, so much so that even 2,000 years later, if we get a chance to go to Europe, we'll be able to see the roads that they have constructed. They also loved to build walls. It was their way of marking their borders to keep their kingdom secure. But it was also their way of keeping the barbarians away. The barbarians were people who were uncivilized. Scythians were even worse. The wall-building project was so vast that some actually said that the wall was built by the devil. Of course, he didn't build the wall, but he certainly is in the business of building walls. Think of the walls that divide the world. Social walls. Economic walls. Even racial walls. The world hurts from walls that our societies have created. Some of us have heard about it, some of us have seen it, some of us have tasted it, some of us are tasting it even now. How much more when these walls exist in the church? Well, it's one thing that Christ has, to believe that Christ has broken down every barrier that our cultures have created. It's altogether another to embrace another without any discri discrimination. The church at Corinth had walls in the church. They were divided during the one service that they should have been celebrating, the oneness they have in Christ, the communion service. But that was not the case. Walls divided them during the supper. And Paul responded to them by reminding them what the supper was all about. They got the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, wrong. And my hope is that as we look at Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth, we will see the significance that the Lord's Supper has to our community life. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> We're going to look at verses 17 to 34. And from verses um, 17 to 22, we get to see what is actually going on here in the church. So Paul helps us understand the context. He says in verse 17, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, an expression found five times in this passage, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Meaning when you come together, you do more harm than good. Now, why would Paul say that? Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. But when you come together as God's people, you bring divisions in, into the church. You've got walls in the church, dividing the people of God. That which exists outside the church has now been brought into the family of God. And we will see what that looked like in a bit. 
And Paul continues, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Well, these factions make visible and, or help us recognize those who are genuine. Those who are not genuine do not have God's approval on their side. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. It's obvious that now that Paul is referring to that part of the gathering when they partook of the Lord's Supper. Well, this name has, this, this, this gathering, sorry, has been named in various ways. It's been called the Eucharist, uh, from the word Eucharistio. You could translate it as Thanksgiving. It has been called breaking of bread, because the early church broke bread in Acts chapter 2. And some, some people call it communion. We call it the communion service. Uh, from the word koinonia in chapter 10, it could be translated fellowship. Some people call it the Thanksgiving church. Also, some people call it the Lord's table, based on chapter 10. Why does Paul say that when they come together, it is not the Lord's supper that they eat? Verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. And what happens? One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So now we know that there is a meal. We need to understand the context uh, of this chapter. When the early church met, they met for longer hours than we do now. They were thrilled every time they got together because they were from all sorts of backgrounds. Slaves and free and educated and uneducated and Jews and Gentiles, the circumcised and uncircumcised, the barbarians and the Scythians, they all come together. You, me, God brought us together. We are one in Jesus Christ. This is God's work. Let's celebrate. So it was a fun time. Celebrating the work of God in their midst. One of the remarkable things about the church gathering was that they had what we call the potluck. This was communion time with potluck. Because they understood that they were members of one family, they used this time to share and care for those in need. The people back then, lots of people back then, were very poor. They would not have had food for even three to four days. And so when they come to the church, out of the overflow of the oneness that they enjoy in Christ, the rich reach out to those who are in need and minister to them during the communion service. So they would first eat the bread. They would break bread, eat the bread, eat food together, and then after the meal, drink from the cup. But what happened in the church at Corinth? Look carefully. One gets nothing. And the other takes more than what is needed. So he's drunk. I want you to think of how that needy person felt because food was not given him or kept for him in the church. He has been shamed in the body of Christ by his brothers. To which Paul responds, what? 
Verse 22, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? You have despised God's church by humiliating your brother. That's the issue here. By humiliating the person who is in need, whom God has made his own through the work of his son, you have despised God's church. And so Paul responds, if you think this gathering is about your physical appetite, go home. If you think the Lord's Supper is about you and your friend, go back home. And if Paul were to preach 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 and 34 in the church at Corinth, his main point from these verses will be go home. The church gathers to feast on Jesus, but if you're coming here to eat and humiliate, go home. And Paul could not come in the church in this matter. Why? Verses 23 to 34, we see how Paul corrects the church in their understanding of the Lord's Supper. He explains to them what the Supper is all about. And my hope is that we will see why Jesus instituted this practice and how it helps the church. So what I want to do is go through this section and make some key observations regarding the Lord's Supper and its impact in the life of our church. First, I think this passage teaches us that the Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper. Verse 20. In chapter 10 and verse 21, it is called the Lord's Table. The church gathers at the table to eat the Lord's Supper. Jesus is the host and he invites us to the table. The gathering would most probably have been held in one of the rich members' house. And so indirectly, Paul seems to be asking the rich person, hey, who do you think is the host at the supper? You or Jesus? Who's the focus at the supper in your house? Well, it looked like it was not the Lord who determined what happened at the supper. And so Paul's instruction is that the Lord's Supper is not about you, it's about Jesus. The Supper belongs to Jesus. And if the Supper makes any sense in the church, it is because Jesus is at the Supper inviting us to himself. Do you see Jesus at the Supper? Seeing Jesus with the eyes of our hearts changes the way we approach supper. At the supper, Jesus is inviting us to fellowship with him. And we commune with him by taking part of the elements that speak volumes about Jesus to us. The Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper. I think the Lord's Supper is also a remembrance of Jesus. This is a remembrance meeting. Says who? Says Jesus. He says that twice. Do this in remembrance of me. In fact, he commanded that we remember him. Well, who should remember him? Well, Jesus gave this command to his disciples. Those people who trust in Jesus. And we see from the book of Acts that the command that Jesus gave his disciples before his death was obeyed in the church and by the church. So the Lord's Supper is not a church picnic thing. 
This is not a picnic thing where few Christians decide to hang out and eat on their own. This is what the church does when she gathers. The question is, what does remember mean? In verses 24 and 25. Well, firstly, I think remember means to recall a past event so that it again becomes a present reality. You know, the Jewish people were commanded to remember the Passover as a lasting ordinance. That meant generations later, people who were not at the Exodus were to look back to the Exodus and make the past Exodus a present Exodus because they too have been recipients of God's favor. And as one scholar puts it, the participants are to relive the experience of history making it their own. Now, I was not there when India gained independence in 1947, 72 years back. I'm not 72. India gained independence on August 15th, 1947. And on August 15th, every year, all Indians celebrate Because India's independence that the freedom fighters fought for back in the day is our independence today. We reap the benefit and we celebrate our independence now. India's independence is my independence too. Reliving past experience today and making it a present reality. Well, what do we remember about Jesus? We remember his work on our behalf. The bread symbolizes the body that was broken for us, and the cup symbolizes the blood that inaugurated the new covenant. These elements that you see to my left and right remind us that Christ suffered for our sins to bring us to God. These elements remind us that Jesus brought us to God. It is not by our righteousness, not our religious activities, not even our religious knowledge, not our strength, not our weakness, Wisdom, Jesus brought us to God through his death. Then, in that case, the Lord's Supper humbles all of us. Because it tells us that our works did not save us. We have nothing to brag about before the supper. At the supper, I am resting in the work of Jesus. Even now, In September 2019, many years after I've trusted in Christ, my Father delights in me because of Jesus. If we have come here with high thoughts about ourselves, the Supper tells us that it is because of Jesus that we have been saved. The Lord's Supper humbles us. We are here only because of Jesus. I think the Lord's Supper also brings relief to our souls. You know, the wine in the cup, interestingly, Paul never uses the word wine, neither does Jesus. He says fruit of the vine, obviously is cup. The wine in the cup symbolizes that Jesus' blood was shed to inaugurate the new covenant. The new covenant promise mentioned in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 was that God would bring about a change in our hearts. 
So now Jesus is saying in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that it is through the shedding of his blood that the new covenant will be inaugurated. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the blessings of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sin, a new heart, the indwelling presence of God in us, and true holiness. And Jesus is the guarantee of the new covenant. This is significant to us. When we behold Jesus at the supper, we recognize that all the blessings of the new covenant is ours because of Jesus. We who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2. His blood cleanses us of all our sin, all our sin. 1 John 1 verse 7. So while you're seated here, if guilt is speaking to you now, you are not fit. Look at what you did, O oh Christians, last week. You are corrupt and you deserve condemnation. Here's what you say. Of course I am unfit. Of course I have corruption. I do not come here because I have made myself fit for Jesus. I have come here on the basis of Jesus' merit. And I hear him tell me, I am your righteousness. I am your peace. Come, eat, and drink. And so at the table, we claim by faith the cleansing that comes through Jesus. And we leave the table cleansed because the host at the supper reminds us that his blood cleanses us of all our sins. So if I leave the table clean, that's because I think that my sins are greater than Jesus' sacrifice. My brothers and my sisters, don't listen to yourself. Listen to Jesus. He's the host at the supper. The Lord's Supper comforts the weak too. Did you notice that word betrayed in verse 23? It says, on the night he was betrayed. Who likes to be betrayed? Who likes to be cheated? Who likes to be rejected? Jesus was, in the night that he was betrayed, he said he was going to give his body. He even called Judas his friend there at the supper. He called him his friend, even though he knew that Judas would betray him with a kiss after that. Your host at the supper knows what it means to be betrayed, to be cheated, to be rejected by your close friends. Jesus at the supper is our high priest who sympathizes with us. And because he sympathizes and because he understands, he gives us grace and mercy to meet with our needs at the supper and beyond the supper. There's beauty in the supper because the Lord's Supper sanctifies our souls. You see, the word remember has another meaning too. When God remembered Noah, he brought Noah out of the ark. When he remembered his covenant with Abraham, he came, he came to rescue the Israelites. When he remembered Hannah, and we heard a sermon on that recently, he blessed her with a baby boy. 
You see, a Bible expositor named Dr. Allman says, In the Bible, memory is not primarily confined to the mind. It's in the whole person. So when God says, your sins, I will remember no more, that means he's not going to act against us. He's not going to bring our sins against us. When you remember in the Bible, you act on what you know. If I act differently from what I know, then I don't remember. Remembering biblically is complete when only you have acted on what you remember. So if what I do at the supper is remember Jesus, it should have a huge impact on how you and I see the family of God. I want you to look at the language that Paul uses in verse 33. He says, my brothers meaning brothers and sisters. That's a family word. And Christians use that because they believe the church to be the family of God. Remembering Jesus should transform the way we see and relate to one another in the family. So I want you to think with me for a moment. Think with me, brothers and sisters. We were all dead in our sins. All of us. We were all dead in our sins. But God made us all alive with Christ. Alive together with Christ. And has seated us all with Christ in the heavenlies. That's the gospel. How can I then treat you with disdain? How can I see you as one with whom I cannot sit and participate with when you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies? How can I despise you? How dare I think less of you? This is the family of God. And as Dr. Allman says, the Lord's Supper is the life meal of the family of God. It's a corporate celebration of our relationship with Jesus and with one another. It's the acknowledgement that we belong to the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper tells us that we are one in Christ. And here we are not defined by the color of our skin, by our race, by our education, job, economic status, houses we stay in, because Christ is all and in all. The church at Corinth failed to recognize this. Remembering Jesus had not transformed them, as is obvious here. But Paul goes on to say in verse 26 that the Lord's Supper is a proclamation too. The Lord's Supper proclaims the death of Christ until he comes. The word proclaim simply means to announce. At the supper... At the supper, the church announces what Jesus has done for sinners. The supper announces that God, the Holy One, showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, deserving God's wrath, Christ died for us. Christ died in our place, but He rose again. He defeated sin and, and death, and those who believe in Jesus will be reconciled to God. And so at the supper, God, the living God, is making his appeal through his church, be reconciled to God. If you, my friend, 
have been visiting this church for the first time and you've not trusted in Christ, welcome. Thank you for visiting us. If you've been coming here for a long time and you've still not trusted in Christ, welcome to our church. The supper here is here to tell you that God has come to save you. And He is calling you to trust in His Son. For those of us who have believed in Jesus, maybe some of you are thinking that God does not care for you. Or that He does not hear your your prayers. You've been praying for long and you've given up. You're here at the supper. Well, friends, the supper tells us, I want you to think about this, God came to us. That's what these things tell us. God came to us. If God took on flesh and he lived obediently, He died selflessly, and He rose victoriously for your salvation. You can be sure that the God who came to save you will not abandon you. At the supper, God is telling you that I am for you, and I am with you, and that I will bring you into my presence. Now we see Jesus with the eyes of faith, but there will come a time when we will see Him for real, like really. 1 John 3, we will see Jesus face to face. So this is not the final supper. The final supper is coming. The final is a billion times better than this supper because we will have direct, intimate fellowship with Jesus. So at the supper, brothers and sisters, listen to Jesus. He is for you and He is with you. By celebrating the supper... We anticipate being in the physical presence of Jesus one day. You know, it's interesting that Paul concludes this section with a warning. The Lord's Supper warns of discipline. Verses 27 to 34. The passage concludes, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now the question is, what is the unworthy manner? It does not say the unworthy person. It says the unworthy manner. And he answers that question in verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Eating in an unworthy manner, is eating without discerning the body. And so from the context, it is clear that the body is the church, the body of Christ. When you treat your brother or sister with disdain in your heart, you have not discerned the body rightly. You sin against the church. And I don't think it will be a stretch to say that when we sin against the church, we sin against Christ. It's an insult to Christ to divide what He has united. And so what's the warning here? Judgment. 
God will judge those who despise His church. It's there. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. Now, going back to the first century church, the house was not a palace. You may have about 60 to 70 members in, gathered in a church, maybe about 40 to 60, 70 at the most. I want you to look at the language here, right? Look at the language here. Many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. So Paul clarifies, well, what does this judgment mean? When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Yes, yes, not all sickness and death is because of sin. Jesus clarifies that for us in John chapter 9. Yes. But according to this passage, this passage here, in the context of the Lord's Supper, there is sickness and even death because someone in the church many in the church actually despised the church at the supper. So what do we do? Verse 28, examine yourself. Well, ask yourself if you're holding on to sin at the supper. Are you holding on to sin right now? And did you bring it to the supper with you? It's an insult to Jesus to bring sin with you to him. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, which I think is a mini picture of the Lord's Supper, Paul says, let us celebrate the Passover lamb who is Jesus without sin, without malice and evil, but with sincerity and truth. Are you... Are you being sincere and true now as you're here? Or are you holding on to some sin and no one knows? Examine yourselves. The church is not united with you when you are in sin. On the other hand, have you been gossiping and slandering the church? You are dividing what God has united. Have you been holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness so much so that you do not want to see that person and will not sit next to that brother or sister? Well, repent. Are there any brothers or sisters that you look down on? I mean, they are your brothers and sisters, but you don't like them. You keep away from them because they don't measure up. You know, they don't look like you. They're not as intelligent as you are, as well off as you are. What are your thoughts about Jesus now? What are your thoughts about yourself now? What, what are your thoughts about others at the supper? What thoughts are you feasting on now? What are you feeding your soul? Who do you see at the supper? Who's your host? This is the Lord's supper. 
that we are feasting on Jesus together as his people, the people that he has created through the blood of his son. So then, Paul concludes, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Now that word, wait, can be translated, welcome, receive, share with one another. Well, whichever translation you're going to go with, you have the one another there. And it simply means embrace one another. I know we're all seated here this evening at the supper. Perhaps next month when we come, let's be intentional to move toward our brother and sister, not away from them. Some of them who we've been keeping away from. And celebrate Jesus with them. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word, your son Jesus, who died in our place. We thank you, Jesus, for the supper. You commanded that we remember you. And so even as we prepare ourselves to remember you now, protect us from sin, from selfishness, from unforgiveness, and from bitterness. Help us flee from our sins to you. Help us hear you saying, I am your righteousness. I am your peace. Help us forsake pride and rely on you and rest in you alone now, even as we partake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.